all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Happy 100th episode to us. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers to that. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things special 100th episode spectacular. Yes, we sound very happy, but we're going to get into a rough topic. Well, they know. They've seen the topic. That's true. (laughs) Yes, they have. I keep forgetting that. And celebrating today, we are drinking some... Uh, well, I'm, you're drinking a North Carolina beer. I'm drinking a Virginia beer, so a regional beer. Yes. This is a new find um, recommended by our friends at the pharmacy in downtown Cary, a great bottle shop. Um, it's called Pomelo Paloma. And uh, Pomelo... Karma Chameleon? What? <laughs> I think Pomelo is... Uh, uh, I was going to say I think it's grapefruit, but I think that's Pomplamoose. I think a pomelo is sure. like a type of citrus. Anyway, it says it's a Gosa style ale, so it's a sour, with red pomelo, Buddha's hand, which is a funny um, fruit or vegetable type of thing that looks like it has fingers, prickly pear, which is one of your favorites. It is. Smoked sea salt, which we both enjoy, mm-hmm. and ancho chilies, which I don't really taste the chilies in here, but it's very delicious. I got a little, there's a there's a little bit, a mm. l- little hint. And this is Commonwealth Brewing Company, family-owned and operated out of Virginia Beach. Nice. Yeah. And you're drinking one of our favorite breweries. Yes, I'm drinking Burial's Metallic Vessels, which I have had before. Is this the coffee one? Yeah, that's a Black lager with coffee. Mm, That's a good one. Yes. That's a good one. So these are our celebratory 100th episode beers. And David does know the topic today. Um, That was an accidental reveal (laughs) by my sister. It was about a month ago. (laughs) A little over a month ago. Yeah, it was a while. I've been working on this one for a while. So, um, so yeah, we made it to 100 episodes, almost 100 straight Mondays. We've released these almost. episodes because we released three in the three first at, three at week. Once. Yeah. So by the time we finish this three part topic, it will have been 100 weeks of episodes. So that means we're coming up on our two year anniversary. 100 Mondays of bad things. <laughs> there we go. Which is a given in itself because it's, it's Monday. <laughs> Yeah, right? So, well, you we thought know we'd what, make uh, you feel worse. You know what the one of the early school shooters said? I don't like Mondays. You know the song by the Boomtown Rats? I th- it sounds familiar. Tell me why I don't like Mondays. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. I do, yes. That that's was a, because... That's a weird song. It, it is actually... It's a really good song. It is weird, but yeah. it's weird because it's about a girl who shot up a bunch of her classmates like in the 80s or 70s or something and they asked her why she did it and she said i don't like mondays yeah so clearly she was a bit off yeah the boomtown rats is going that's the beginnings of like alternative rock like that i believe they're classified as new wave yeah New Wave is more poppy sounding to me. That's not a very poppy sounding. Well, oh, it's it's like a Broadway sounding song. It's very poppy. I don't know. It it sounds like it's coming from somewhere else to me. Yeah, anyway, okay. Oh, let's not get on a Boomtown Rats <laughs> let's, tangent. Let's not. Hashtag Boomtown Rats <laughs> if you're listening. But uh, hashtag, so, hashtag Oingo Boingo. <laughs> so thank you to everyone who has listened over the past hundred episodes. That's yes, thank you very much. So many episodes, I can't believe it. Uh, feel if you haven't already, feel free to reach out to us at All Bad Things Pod, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and if you want to email us, allbadthingspod at gmail.com. So, so we're gonna kind of get right into this topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll start with my usual intro, and then I'll go into my little preamble. But this is the story, as you know now, and as everyone has seen. Unfortunately, it's not the story of a man named Brady. (laughs) That was cute. Thank you. This is the story of HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. So, the human, human immunodeficiency virus, HIV, and its resulting condition, acquired immune deficiency syndrome, or AIDS, has killed 
over any idea on our hashtag body uh, count here? I mean, tens of millions. 70 million people yeah. worldwide. I was going to say, I'm not sure if it's quite 100 million, but that's close enough. Yeah. An additional estimated 37 million people globally are currently living with HIV, including almost 1% of all people between the ages of 15 and 49. Wow. Yeah. And close to a million people die of the virus every year. Still. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I, I certainly would have believed that when I was growing up. Right. Uh, it was probably worse than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like living with AIDS is it's mm. just something you can do, I guess. But More I guess not More specifically living with, with HIV. HIV. Yes, that's true. Because we are going to get into all of that. Yes. So this is going to be a three-part topic. So this episode is going to be origins. We're going to start. A t- we're going to talk about the whole start of this disease. It's not going to virus. A, everything else. It's not going to be as fun as the origins of uh, like X Men. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is not a superhero no. origin story. Unfortunately, it's a super virus. A super origin virus origin story. story. Uh, part two next week, episode one hundred and one, will be epidemic. We'll talk about how it turned into such. A, a global crisis, literally, and the initial reactions to it, which, spoiler alert, were pretty horrible. And then part three, I think, I'm, think I'm going to call it hope because we're going to talk about sort of the modern era of HIV, the treatments that came out, the better responses to the global epidemic that, that happened, and some of the real progress that's being made in understanding and treating HIV and AIDS. So so this is, and I've kind of hinted at this before in other episodes and on our social media and stuff, but this is the topic, in my opinion, that I have wanted to do for a long, long time. The story of HIV and AIDS is long and incredible and really just a conglomeration of epidemiology, like an actual virus, very much up our alley, right, for when it comes to a disaster. I think this definitely qualifies as a disaster. for sure. Death, culture wars, moralizing, politics, social norms, all sorts of things. Life on the earth changed because of AIDS. Yes, everything came uh, into play with this disease. Everything. Yes, Uh very much so. I mean... um, Geopolitics, for yes. for sure, became a. I mean, that's. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, there's it's, a lot to this. It, it does involve everything, everything. culturally. Yes, it really this does. is not just a medical story no. for sure. It also has an enormous death toll. I don't think we've ever covered anything that has millions. I'm not even sure if I knew casualties. It, I'm not sure I ever even knew it was that many yeah. people. I knew it was. I mean, I those was, are estimates, right? It's not I mean, positive, I was thinking but those are estimates. 10, 20, maybe 30, 70, 70. plus. Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as they say, uh, 70 million is a statistic, one is a tragedy. I thought it was one is a statistic, 70 million. No. No. Okay. The 70 million would be the statistic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. I didn't know that was going to throw you. Apparently it did. <laughs> and not only that, but we're not talking. We're talking about an ongoing disaster. This yeah. HIV is Forev- still probably very forever. much among us, un- unless and until they can cure it, yeah. which, we'll, again, we'll get to in the third episode as to the hope of a potential end to HIV. So, uh, And I think there's a lot of hope on the horizon. There's been a lot of very uh, encouraging stories about research into HIV. So, So I know I go to Wikipedia a lot. As a source, I and I still did, and I still think that's valid, but I need to shout out sort of the inspiration for this entire topic for me, something that initially interested me in this topic in general just well before we were ever even, well, well before we met, let alone well before we were talking about doing our podcast, but there is an amazing documentary from PBS, a frontline documentary, it was released in 2006 called The Age of AIDS. I think I saw that. It's excellent. I think I and have you can seen watch it. it online for yes. free. It's still available to watch. 
I, I it's it's a little cheesier as it ages, but I still think it holds up well for the information that it's it very gives. Very poignant. It is very poignant, and it gives a lot of information. Mm-hmm. It's a really well done. And it goes very much, if I can remember correctly. Yeah, I did see this. It very much goes into the culture. Oh yes. War that oh was, yes. It it goes into every part yeah. of it. It's a very well done uh, documentary. So yes, and I also got. My my source list for this episode is pages long. I got a lot of information from a lot of sources because there's a lot of information out there. Fortunately, because now we're living in an era where there's more information than unknowns about HIV. But that's not where we're starting, right? We're starting with the beginning when nobody even knew this was a thing. Mm-hmm. So, so the place I'm going to start is with the virus itself with HIV itself. And we'll go next week, we'll talk about the discovery of HIV as a virus. But we know now, and have known for quite some time, that AIDS is caused by HIV. And we'll talk about the distinction between the two as well. But HIV, a human immunodeficiency, I keep wanting to say humanodeficiency. I know, that's, human yes. immunodeficiency virus. See, I keep wanting to say immuno with the AIDS part, with the I in AIDS, but it's immune, not immune. immuno. Right, right. Acquired immune deficiency yes. syndrome. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's, where I, that's where I mix up my immunos. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mixing up our immunos all over the place. But we throw out the word virus a lot. Like, um, we we each got a virus a couple weeks ago, we right? As yeah. we're we're recording this about a month earlier, so but yeah, virus kind of has this nebulous meaning in pop culture or in just average person culture, as opposed to scientific or medical. So I thought we'd start there with the human immunodeficiency virus. So a virus to go all the way back, is a very tiny organism that doesn't actually have its own cellular structure, which is interesting, right? Like, what is it then? Yeah. So on its own, it's basically just DNA or RNA. Do you remember? Mm, Yes, I Yes. Just to to think Mm -hmm. about this, if you um, are from our era and watched Jurassic Park, Growing up, do you remember? I wasn't thinking of it like that. The little was, strand guy right. who, it's the building blocks of life, like in the little goofy. I was thinking of my oldest sister's boyfriend uh, mm-hmm. when I was growing up mm-hmm. who went on to study RNA cancer. Right. Mm-hmm. And probably still is for all I know. Do you remember what DNA and RNA stand for? I don't. So RNA is ribonucleic That's acid. That's what it, Yes. I only know this because I looked this up for this. Oh, sure. <laughs> and DNA is dioxin... No, dioxinucleic acid, I think. Emily can uh, uh, ju- Judges? Us. Judges? <laughs> ding, 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 ding. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think they're still holding out. Dioxinucleic acid, I think that's it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not bullshitting. I've never really known what DNA stood for, but the RNA, I remembered. Right. I knew at one time specifically because of what I was just saying. Okay, of, gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ribo, um, ribonucleic n- acid. yes. Mm-hmm. So it's <laughs> riboflavin. <laughs> riboflavin. It's it's just DNA or RNA coated in protein, which okay. I I really don't understand cells and stuff, so I don't even get any of that. But like, okay, like science and shit is really hard. Science and shit, yeah, science. <laughs> <laughs> it is really hard. If, if you haven't been trained to think in that manner and understand I, 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 that. I certainly have not. Same here. I've been trained in, uh, this is how that machine works. Mm-hmm. Go work it. <laughs> I've been trained in this is how taxes work. Figure them out. Yeah. So, but the interesting thing is that because these are just basically little random strands of the building blocks of life covered in protein, they're not really self-sustaining Organisms. Well, they have to feed off of something. Well, so here's the yes. thing. It can't reproduce. Mm-hmm. It can't do anything on its own. It's just DNA or RNA inside a little shell of protein. But the problem is these little beans or whatever of DNA or RNA can wind up inside hosts. And when they find a host cell, they can hijack the entire normal metabolic process of the host cell that 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 cell 
uses to thrive and reproduce hijacks it and uses it to its own benefit. It's yeah, basically it's like cellular terrorism. Yeah. yeah, that's good. That's a good way to put it. Thank that's you. I thought that was crazy. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So And that's also why it's hard to detect. Early on it was hard to detect. Like before they understood it. Yes, because nobody they're like, what like why is all this stuff going away? Right. Like why they is this happening to the these cells? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it would make sense if you were talking about your your sister's boyfriend that he was studying RNA cancers because to my understanding, cancer is a similar process. Its cells run amok. It the is. cellular system yes. is running amok. Not because it's of not the, the virus. Ex- it's not the exact same thing, but it's also the same. It's almost the same concept. It's the same concept, but it's yeah. not caused by a virus. Right. It's not a viral issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So quick sidebar. It's important to delineate between a virus and bacteria. Mm-hmm. Those are two very, very different things. Like, especially like we just got out of flu season and everything, you know, you've heard of bacterial pneumonia and viral pneumonia caused by two different things, right? So bacteria can live both inside and outside of organisms. It doesn't need a host in the same way that viruses do. And they actually, uh, bacteria actually reproduce with their own process. They don't need another cell to reproduce. They can do it on their own in a process called binary fission i have heard of that i have too it's it's i don't know why i still don't know what that means but (laughs) i've heard of it it's the way bacteria can reproduce outside of a host so they can also be more mobile and sophisticated on a cellular level than viruses um now there are we've heard of bad bacteria and good bacteria right absolutely like the bad bacteria can Mm -hmm. cause infection illness and death but there's also a large number of quote good bacteria that live in our guts help us out also running smoothly bad bacteria can become good because if your body builds up an immunity to it then it's you know yeah that's yeah yeah i guess so um, and as for the bad... It becomes good. It's not good in the beginning. <laughs> right. But then when you, you know, but learn how to get through it. something good about bacteria is antibiotics can kill them. Yes. So that's an easy way or a way that has been developed to kill bacteria. It doesn't work with viruses, though. Because no. viruses are much different. So we can't just give them antibiotics and they go away. That and, doesn't uh, happen. To my... Going back to my... Sophomore year of biology, I do believe that no two viruses are alike at all. You mean that they're all they're uniquely all distinct? Yes. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Yep. And so you you can't just knock them out with antibiotics. <laughs> although we'll talk about treatment, like I said in our third episode. But the viruses viruses are out for one thing to reproduce, which means they have to find a host cell, take it over, and then they can reproduce. While there are some potentially beneficial applications for viruses that are still being studied to this day, there's research that's shown that there's a possibility or potential to use them to kill certain types of brain tumors. So there there is some kind of cutting-edge research on that, but most viruses cause systemic illness and can be very dangerous with little or no upside at all. So... Um, while there's, quote, good and bad bacteria, there's not really a good virus. Viruses are dangerous. They're all, they all suck. Mm-hmm. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> suck the life out of you. Yeah. So HIV, or human immunodeficiency virus, is a type of retrovirus known as a lentivirus. So we're going to break all that down, right? And if anybody has seen the movie Train Spotting, <coughs> they actually break that down in a five-second clip. Do they? Yes, they do. How so? I don't remember that movie When he well. is uh, trying to overcome, uh, when he's trying to get through his heroin addiction, when he's mm-hmm. at his parents' house and sweating through it, okay. like trying to get it out is of his system. Is that when he thought he got sucked into the toilet? No. No, he was tripping. Before. When he... That's when he sees the baby crawling across the top of the I wall only saw and... it once and now I know why. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty, but they do go into that for five seconds because he's okay. having a hallucination in his mind that his parents are on this game show. And they, oh, they're answering questions? They ask what um, HIV is. Okay, Is please. it this virus or is it a retrovirus? And they say retrovirus. Oh, okay. Okay. Because at this point in the movie, one of his friends has... HIV. Mm-hmm. Okay. Spoiler alert for a... For anybody who has not seen a 23-year-old movie. 23. I'm going to say... 97, I thought it came out. 96, I think. Okay. Could be. 
I'm going to date You're myself and right. say it came out last year. Sorry about the spoiler. <laughs> what? No, I'm just saying like oh. it, it makes me it makes me 42 years old that that movie came oh, out. Oh, I gotcha. So you didn't. Yep, 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 yep. Gotcha. If it had come gotcha. out in 2016, I'd only be 22. <laughs> <laughs> Not how it works. <laughs> that, that's bullshit. Yeah, it is. Totally. Somebody needs to get on that. <laughs> so a retrovirus. Let's get into, like you said, they knew that HIV was a retrovirus. So a retrovirus is a type of RNA virus. So remember I said viruses could be DNA or RNA. Well, retroviruses are RNA. It invades its host cell, fucks up the cell's DNA by putting a copy of its own genome, its own genetic material. Just, I mean, think of how crazy that is. It, it's it's in, it's amazing that this how is, is that happening even, at how a, is that even possible? a cellular. I mean, like microscopic level, yeah. beyond micro. Like just it's it is amazing. It's fucking scary. It is if pretty you think scary. About it. it is pretty scary. Like if a person could do that, <laughs> like that that would be like the scariest person on earth, right? You know, right? So it invades its host cell, fucks up the cell's DNA, puts in into the in its own genetic material into the cell, so it overrides the DNA that was originally in there, the host cell's DNA. It's a hijacking. And like, I don't, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know how you figure this out, how you break that. Like, whatever, I know the fact that whatever. they learned. About I'm glad this. there are people who can. Mm-hmm. You know, thank God for those people. It's just not us. <laughs> no, it's definitely not me. So a lentivirus, which a retrovirus is, is a type, or rather a lentivirus is a type of retrovirus. Anyway, so many like subsets, but a lentivirus is a type of retrovirus that very insidiously likes to take its time incubating in its host before it really starts wreaking havoc. And I don't mean that like nefariously. It's a cell. It's not a person. But another you know. reason why it's probably also very hard to detect early on. Well, let's keep going. And this is pretty remarkable, considering the HIV cell is just a tiny fraction of the size of its host cell. So it's it's getting inside it, something that's even bigger than it it's is. It's microscopic of something that's microscopic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And despite how small it is, once it takes over its host, it can lead to chronic deadly disease. So in the case of HIV, it has a specific way in which it tends to manifest itself in humans. So initially, upon infection of HIV, a person will enter into what is called the acute phase or the primary phase of HIV infection. Now many, not all, but a large portion of people who contract HIV when they're initially when they've initially been infected will experience flu-like symptoms during the acute or primary sure. phase which can last a week or two typically and any doctor will be like oh you got the flu that's the problem it presents yeah. like the flu and and it that's goes so away within a couple weeks crazy. right so like it's it, just it, like, it is oh you just have the flu it's Get literally over a, it. it's literally a chameleon yeah yeah it's but instead, you can't instead tell of changing by symptoms, yeah, yeah, instead of changing color, it, it like cha- changes bacteria, like what it's going to do to you. Not bacteria, or, I'm remember. sorry, virus. Right, it, it changes the mechanism of what's happening yeah. in the cell. Yes, that's fucking so, crazy. So, it, based on symptoms alone, it's not really possible to diagnose HIV, especially, well, particularly during the acute or primary phase, because you generally just okay, you've got the flu, you get over it, and you're fine. Because flu-like symptoms unfortunately actually mask a lot of serious illnesses not just hiv that's true. but yeah, but that's true. it's also incredibly common and is sometimes really just the flu in fact most of the time it's really just the flu and just the flu is deadly on its own it is yes it, especially in the immunosuppressed the elderly the young we did a whole episode about it mhm the Spanish flu, quote, Spanish mm-hmm. flu outbreak, yeah, of 1918. But don't get a vaccine because you might wind up with... <laughs> Autism, apparently. Yeah, that's all bullshit. We know that. So, so after the initial infection, the acute phase, because it's a lentivirus, the virus goes into a latent stage, often called chronic or asymptomatic HIV. And this phase can really last for a really long time, on average, eight years. So in other words, a wow. person has been infected, sometimes has symptoms initially, and then life goes on 
for them. And there's not it's an asymptomatic phase of years often, typically about eight years, although it can range between about three years on the low end and 20 plus years on the long end. Some people literally remain asymptomatic for potentially decades. That's it crazy. just depends on how yeah. the virus behaves in an individual's body. So so like I said, as, as the name would suggest, people in the stage are usually asymptomatic. They don't tend to have overt signs that they are infected with a virus after that initial phase. Um, unlike, like, say, a viral pneumonia or chicken pox or measles or anything, where it would become really clear really quickly that you're ill by very specific symptoms. But unfortunately, if left untreated, and again, there's no symptoms necessarily aside from those initial flu-like symptoms to show that you are infected, it is almost guaranteed that the virus will progress to its final phase, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, or AIDS. And AIDS is defined, This I, I found this so interesting, AIDS is defined in a couple of different ways. So one is the presentation of the disease, of AIDS, which we'll talk about in a second, of what, what is considered AIDS um, in someone who has HIV, and the other has to do with blood counts which is where we're going to get into talking about TH cells. <laughs> we're getting so scientific, and I'm so proud of myself. I did this research a few weeks ago, so I'm like, this is so smart. Yeah, science. <laughs> yeah, science. So TH cells, I'm assuming they're called TH cells and not th cells. <laughs> they're not called the the cells? The, 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 and, and, and. And, 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 and cells. <laughs> so TH cells are also called T helper cells and are, surprise, surprise, a type of T cells. So T cells are a really important part of immunity and T helper cells support other immune cells by releasing these little proteins called cytokines, which help regulate your immune system. Now, I literally put now, period, <laughs> just as a sentence. Remember how I said HIV hijacks, right? Invades other cells to, and takes them over. Well, more imp importantly or specifically, HIV goes after TH cells, mm -hmm. T helper cells, hijacks their cellular processes and replicates inside of the T helper cells. So a blood count that is very important. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, mm -hmm. do you get into uh, the doctor how he came up? Upon this, at the, which at the time was a theory. So I don't get into the um, the discovery of HIV until next episode. Okay, well, mm -hmm. I'll, I guess I'll leave that out because I don't, well, well, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, no, we're not really getting into okay. the discovery of HIV this gotcha. episode. Okay. I'm, I'm giving all this background because we know where this is going. So I want to explain the mechanisms of the disease. We'll talk about how it was discovered next week. I'm just going to throw out a tease. Mm -hmm. um, this guy's uh, initial theory, uh, he came upon while playing a very famous classic video game. Okay. Well, you can help fill in those blanks. I didn't actually include that oh, in okay. next week's research, so you can help fill that in. So a blood count that's really important when diagnosing and or monitoring HIV is the TH cell count, the T helper cell count. So upon initial infection of HIV, the T helper cell count drops significantly. So it just plummets right off the bat. Then it experiences a slight rebound during the beginning of the asymptomatic period, but then during that latent period where there, there's not necessarily symptoms showing up, um, it starts declining. And then it eventually plummets to almost nothing in the end stages of AIDS. So this virus, HIV, is specifically attacking immune cells or the immunity part of cells hijacking their DNA processes and taking them over. So, so specifically... That sounds so fucking scary. I know, it is horrible. Specifically, once a person with HIV has a CD4 blood count, and CD4 is those T cells, of less than 200 cells per cubic millimeter of blood, that is considered officially they have AIDS. So, um, so that's how, so that's the defining that's, line. That's yes. Okay. Uh -huh. That's, that's I, I part know, of I guess that, I never uh -huh. knew that. Yeah. 
A lot of this stuff I kind of never wanted to know. I know, but I figured it was important to get sure, into. We absolutely. need to know the mechanisms of this, right? Plus, the the fight to just figure out all this these mechanisms was imagine. incredible. Yeah, I can't imagine. So, and they were doing it as we'll get into next week in the, underfunded conditions. I was going to say, things. and they're doing it with a literally like a fire under their ass. Like somebody has to figure this out now with with a big fire under their ass and very little funding to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, it's like, oh, this community of people depending. It's literally. The world. Is depending on this. The world is depending. This is a virus that could literally kill everybody. How the fuck can you uh, Mm -hmm. handle that weight? I know. I mean, I. Well, and this was even before they knew it was a virus or how it spread, which is important. Which which will. That's a whole other. Yes, yes, that's a whole other thing. We're getting into that this week. So we're really just talking about a lot of the mechanism of the virus this week which they didn't discover until later in our story, but then also like how HIV even got started in the human population, which we'll get into as well. So because the body loses this important part of its immune system, these, these T helper cells, the main issue with AIDS is that the body becomes highly susceptible to other infections, including, and I should say this. So we said, um, that viruses don't cause cancer necessarily. That's actually not true. There are some viral-related cancers. So, for example, um, cervical cancer can be caused oh, by HPV. HPV, mm-hmm. yeah. By the human... <coughs> Pampiloma? Papilloma virus, yes. Sorry, that was all very weird. Yes. And some pretty rare illnesses, too. These infections can become severe and then eventually lead to death, especially when someone's like they're immunosuppressed, they get an opportunistic infection that can lead to like a viral related cancer or to another opportunistic infection. So if a person with HIV exhibits opportunistic illnesses, they are considered to have AIDS, even if their CD4 cell count has not gotten all the way down to 200. So Okay, so we have a, we have another designation. There's two exactly. Okay. The presentation of opportunistic illnesses regardless of CD4 count in a person who know who is known to have HIV or a person with HIV without any representation or presentation of an opportunistic illness but just has that plummeting CD4 count. Sure. <laughs> I sounded so smart. Like I knew what I was talking about. So once someone has one of these opportunistic illnesses, their life expectancy without treatment is about a year. The average... I'm surprised it's even that I know, long. right? Jesus. The average survival after HIV... Survival, like, lifespan after HIV progresses to AIDS is about three years. However, I do want to make it clear, even this early in the story, that there have been currently many amazing advances in HIV treatment over the past few decades. For the sake of storytelling, we're not going to delve into those until our third part, but I just think it's important to mention early on that a diagnosis of HIV, just in case anyone is listening who has or knows somebody or whatever who has been diagnosed with HIV in modern times, in our current times, it is nowhere near as dire as it was back when this was just being discovered or not even known. So, and especially, or at least for those of us in first world countries, you know, those for us who are not, uh, those of us who are not in developing nations. So... Um, now treatment works for people in regardless of location, but obviously it's access to the treatment. That's the biggest hurdle today. So, um, there was a lot of fear surrounding HIV, which we'll get into next week in earlier days, but I just want to make sure that nobody listening now is getting confused about where we stand with this disease today and with this virus today. There's the strides that have been made are incredible and HIV is a very livable condition right now. So again, we'll get yeah, into that as opposed to a death sentence. Yeah, it is, is not, which is a what death it was sentence. when it, I was growing up. Yes. And it is no longer. So there are currently two strains of HIV, HIV one and HIV two. The vast majority of cases worldwide are HIV one with HIV two being found most commonly in Western Africa They are genetically distinct viruses, but both do lead to AIDS if left untreated. HIV-1, like I said, is more common, and it also spreads more easily. So because that's the bulk of the epidemic, that when I say HIV, I'm mostly referring to HIV-1. So 
Uh, so we're, we'll talk a lot more next week about the actual epidemic, how HIV spread. But I do think it's important because we're talking about the mechanism of the virus itself to talk now about how it's transmitted. And we're specifically going to discuss what we know now as transmissible, not what people thought back in the day, which again, we'll cover next week because there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about the virus. So we're going to be very clinical about this because I think way too much discussion of HIV and AIDS is cloaked in the stupidity of humans' moral pontificating and need to turn into six-year-olds when discussing sex. So... HIV is transmitted through certain types of exposure, certain types of exposure specifically, to certain body fluids. Specifically, HIV can be transmitted through blood, semen, pre-seminal fluid, rectal fluid, vaginal fluid, and breast milk. Now, if any of these fluids come into contact with the mucous membranes of the mouth, rectum, vagina, or the opening of the penis, or into the bloodstream, there's a risk of HIV transmission. So, note, that's a risk, not a guarantee. So Yes. So, I have there's, a... There's, there's a huge difference. There's a very big difference. So, I have um, a nice, fun little fact sheet. Well, it's not fun, I guess, but it's a fact sheet about... Uh, the average risk of HIV transmission per exposure to infected source. And I got this from POS, P-O-Z. I wish I had more than that as to where I got this, but I believe that's an organization, uh, an HIV organization. So anyway, Uh, so the what... Well, let's do this as a quiz. Okay, okay. (laughs) What do you think is the number one most risky or the has the highest average risk of HIV transmission? I would say a uh, blood sharing. Yes, you're right. A blood transfusion mm-hmm. specifically. Needles. Uh, yep. So blood transfusion has a 90% yeah. rate of transmission, average risk of HIV transmission. So that's why we try to bring clean needle programs into society. Well, no, that's no, we're not talking about that. We're not so, talking about injections. We are talking about literal blood transfusions. Strike that's, that strike that from the record. Yes, that's different. Um so but, but it's also a problem. It but we'll Could get be. to it. Let's sure. let's let's okay. talk about our right. number one thing, which is blood and blood products actually being injected into a person so you're getting somebody if if you receive mm-hmm. the blood or blood products of somebody who is hiv positive injected into your blood transfu- transfused you have a 90 percent average risk of contracting hiv so you're That's almost crazy. guaranteed crazy yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's very high it the risk literally plummets after that, as to risk of transmission, what do you think the next riskiest, uh, highest risk of HIV transmission is? I would probably say sexual contact. Yes, but it's a specific... Th- this breaks it down. This is so oh, okay. well done. They break it down by every type of sex. So it's actually um, the the second most risky... Uh, average highest average risk of HIV transmission is being the receptive partner during during anal sex with the um, the other partner ejaculating. So again, we're being adults about this, but that carries a one in seventy risk, so a one point seven three percent. So that's yeah, that's way less. Like than... I said, it goes down. Wow. Obviously, the idea is. The more frequently you engage in a certain activity, the higher your sure. you're, you're just compounding your risk, right? So, but any one exposure per exposure risk is what we're talking about. Could here. yes, this is this is the risk one point four three percent roughly. Um, so going back to needle sharing, that it carries a one in one hundred forty nine percent or one in wow. one hundred forty nine. Surprises that per low transmission. Yep, but you're right that uh, which we will get into in future weeks. Uh, clean needle programs and such have tried to curb that transmission. Uh, so needle sharing would be like in the case of intravenous drug users, uh, a needle stick. So that's a concern in um, the health professions, healthcare professions. If you're caring for an HIV positive patient, a needle that was used on them accidentally um, 
somehow cuts through a glove or sure. or whatever. Gotcha. That that is still very negligible. Well, I shouldn't say negligible. It's a low risk. One in one hundred thirty-three, or sorry, one in three hundred thirty-three chance per um, exposure. Biting, spitting, or throwing body fluids like Migs from <laughs> uh, Silence of the Lambs carries a very negligible risk. Like, they don't even have the odds. It's negligible, if at all. Which, because of this disease, uh, became considered uh, assault. Like, if you spit mm. on if mm-hmm. you spit on somebody or... Right, even though it really carries almost no chance of it happening, but yes. Still good, yeah. Um, that also includes sharing sex toys. So, um, oral sex, This uh, we're specifically talking about to a... <laughs> A penis. <laughs> so if you give a blowjob to an HIV um, positive person, uh, actually it says example. So it probably is um, regardless of the person's sex. So anyway, if you are the receptive partner, you have a zero to one chance in 2,500 uh, per exposure to infected source of actually contracting HIV. If you are the insertive partner, the person getting it, um, then it's you basically have no chance of contracting HIV from that. So oral sex is actually a pretty low, low risk activity compared to other things. Um, we are not, to be clear, we are not recommending or not recommending any particular <laughs> activities. But uh, for vaginal sex, the risk to a female with an HIV positive male partner varies according to income of the country. So high income okay. countries, well, I know. Okay. Uh, yeah. It um, does make sense. Carries a one to one in 1,250 chance low income countries, one in 333. So it's a much higher risk. Sure. If you're in a low income country, um, I don't know why that is exactly, but, uh, and I don't want to speculate cause I really don't know risk to a male with an HIV positive female partner, partner, uh, partnery. I almost said in high income countries is, uh, Roughly, or actually, one in two thousand five hundred low-income countries, one in two hundred sixty-three. Now, this is where a lot of the, and we'll get into this a lot next week. A lot of the uh, mythology surrounding quote gay sex and and HIV transmission, specifically talking about anal sex. If and this varies according to circumcision. The insertive partner's risk, if circumcised, uh, carries a 1 in 909 chance of HIV transmitted transmission. If the insertive partner is uncircumcised, it's 1 in 161. So apparently circumcision has an effect when it comes to HIV transmission in this particular act. Now, for the receptive partner, without ejaculation, it's 1 in 154. Receptive partner with ejaculation is 1 in 70. Like I said, making it the second riskiest quote um, per event, per exposure, uh, which is how it got to be partially why it became known as a, quote, gay disease and Mm -hmm. all, which we'll get into a lot Mm -hmm. next week. So, interestingly... Uh, The first roughly 12 weeks after creating HIV can increase the transmission of the person who is newly HIV positive can raise can increase the transmission likelihood 26 times, making a, for example, 1.43 risk turning into a 37 percent risk. So a newly infected HIV person has a much higher viral load. Therefore, they could potentially be more infectious. Yes. Um, uh, if you have a pre- presence of other STIs, sexually transmitted infections, can amplify the risk as much as eight times. And ex- I and I don't know how, but this says exposure to gender inequality and intimate partner violence can raise a woman's HIV risk one point five times. The only thing I can think of about that and the whole low income country thing and all that too is potentially like. Um, the risk of violence during intercourse, which could lead to like tearing and bleeding, which could therefore have the blood be exposed to certain fluids. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. That's a, and how they can even break it down. Like I this know is, it's, it's amazing that they've been able to do this. I've never heard that the odds to me, uh, mm-hmm. um, 
the odds of this, but I don't think we knew this 25 years mm-hmm. ago, are very slim. Really, minus, technically. Minus a blood transfusion. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The way it was... Sold to you as a kid, yeah. And that's that's a proper word, and that's proper mm-hmm. marketed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I think this was for everybody's benefit. Was if you have sex, unprote- unprotected sex, you're you'll, going to die. You'll get, you'll die. You'll die of AIDS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was obviously overstated. But it was also very effective. Yeah, that's what they were going for. Yeah. Now I am not using the, not trying to use these relatively low odds in any way to right, recommend to, to be irresponsible. Right, or to recommend um, not using condoms, not practicing safe sex, all that stuff, not knowing your partner, not getting tested and not having your partner tested, all that stuff, incredibly important. It's just, and remember, again, this is per exposure. Sure. So you do it time and time and time and time again, each time you're carrying that risk, right? So just like pregnancy, right? There's a risk of getting pregnant each time, but it's not 100%. And, you know, so same, same thing. Um, so, yeah, so that's the, that's the facts that we know now, or at least this is, this was published in 2014. So I feel like that's pretty recent. So. Recent enough. Yeah. So now we're going to get into, now we've gotten into the whole mechanism of the virus, how it spreads, how it works and everything. So now we're getting into the actual well, okay, but where did this come from? Has this always, has HIV always been a thing? We just didn't know it. We didn't diagnose it. Uh, did it just not spread easily in the past? And the the answer is a very complicated sort of. <laughs> it's it's a weird, it's a, it's a fascinating history, actually, and partially still theorized. It's, sure. It's understood, but the exactness is... There's Unknown. no, there's no patient zero as far as anybody knows. Basically, that's cur- well. There was. We just aren't sure who it was. Who, or, yeah, yeah, have no exactly. idea. So, so what has been identified as the human immunodeficiency virus is a relative to another type of virus called SIV or simian immunodeficiency virus. Simian being, of course monkeys, and more specifically, SIV was found in chimpanzees living in the wild. So as we know, chimpanzees are one of hum- are human beings' closest evolutionary relatives, um, and SIV progressives, progresses in chimpanzees much the same way HIV does in humans, so it behaves very similarly, and it eventually leads to AIDS, in monkeys. Monkeys get these opportunistic mm-hmm. infections as well, have the same problem with their immune system, and then eventually die. So technically, AIDS has been around longer than HIV has. Sure. Because monkeys got AIDS, but it was SIV, not HIV, in, in monkeys or in chimpanzees. Um, so remember, because AIDS is based on either a certain blood count, certain opportunistic infections, or a combination. So it stands to reason that it can be potentially be caused by more than one individual virus, SIV, HIV. So the strain of SIV that evolved into HIV was likely hosted by Western lowland gorillas who have (laughs) the best species name taxonomy ever. So, you know, to like uh, Homo sapiens is mm-hmm. our species name. Their their species name is Gorilla, Gorilla, Gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and. And I literally wrote <laughs> that in there, look. <laughs> the, the. The, the. Gorilla, Gorilla, Gorilla. That's their name. What? Yeah, I know. That's their, that's their taxonomy that does, name. That doesn't sound science gorilla, enough. Gorilla, Gorilla, Gorilla. Not even close. <laughs> Maybe it was a scientist with a really good sense of humor. I guess so. Just, yeah, I, I, I bet he put it that. He's like, I'm just going to fuck with everybody from here on out. I'll and, just call them Gorilla, Gorilla, Gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> he was a big fan of and, and, and. <laughs> so these these Western lowland gorillas could carry a strain of SIV. Then they hunted, so they could carry a strain of SIV. Then they hunted and ate two smaller species of monkeys who carried a different strain of SIV. And then the gorilla, gorilla, gorillas <laughs> contracted a sort of super virus created by their own SIV 
And then this other SIV that they consumed, literally consumed mm-hmm. by eating these other gor- other monkeys. And that was called SIVCPZ, which is the strain that could be passed to humans. So basically, there were different strains of SIV, and they weren't able to be zoonotically transmitted, meaning pass from one species to another. But then these gorillas ate a smaller species of monkey that had a different strain of SIV. Those strains sort of fused, and that became zoonotically transmissible. So it's like a super virus, which is awful. And that's the the term zoonotic. A a zoonotic uh, illness or disease is something that can pass from species to species. Like if if you have a cold, you generally don't have to worry about your cat getting a cold either, that sort of thing. And vice versa. Right, exactly. But a zoonotic illness. Because we know little little Demetrius has had several colds. He has his little sneezing fits. They're so cute. I'm sure it's not fun for him, but they're very (laughs) cute. So... So sequencing of HIV has shown that the SIV to HIV jump probably first happened near the end of the 19th century or early in the 20th century. So late 1800s, early 1900s, um, though it's important to note that the actual SIV virus is itself potentially tens of thousands of years old, just not this super virus hybrid that could make the jump to humans. Further, it's possible that this zoonotic transmission happened multiple times initially, but died out each time. So the the prevailing theory is of the genesis of HIV in humans is called the natural transfer theory or the bushmeat theory. And that's that people who hunted monkeys in Western Africa, specifically the Democratic Republic of the Congo, got blood-to-blood exposure to the virus when they cut up monkey meat. So uh, they hunted these gorillas, butchered them, and then, like, say they had an open wound or accidentally cut themselves during the butchering, they had blood-to-blood contact with the infected gorillas and then contracted the the virus. That's the prevailing theory. And that whole thing of hunting down monkeys and butchering them is just, that's kind of sick. So here's something that's super important to keep in mind, because I understand, and, and I'm, I'm with you, however, we need to understand we're talking about... It's a different culture. A completely different culture, yep. and also 100 years ago. Yep. Not that this still doesn't go on, but yes. Um, and also have to remember that in Western culture... We also do horrific things to monkeys. That's true. We torture them. That's true. We don't just kill them and hunt hunt them and kill them. We torture them. So we actually do way worse things. I was going to say, in retrospect, the hunting and killing is probably the more uh, reasonable thing Mm -hmm. to do. Yep. And and that's the other thing is it is I'm a vegan. I clearly am against all hunting and killing and consuming of meat. However, just like I can understand someone saying that they try to be as respectful as possible in the process, whatever, I just still don't agree with it. But I, I don't think that these people, these these uh, gorilla hunters were like torturing these animals. They were literally just hunting, killing, butchering, just like somebody who deer hunts does. Sure. You know? It's not. And, it was, and it was, I would, uh, I would was, argue uh, less for sport and yeah, more for survival. It was so. a food source. Yeah, exactly. So the idea is that happened potentially multiple times that a hunter actually contracted HIV, but then it basically died out with them. Or maybe he passed it. We saw the low, relatively low transmission rates. So maybe just the individual died, you know, contracted the virus, had the latent phase and died, or maybe they passed it on to a spouse or a child or something like that. Oh, that's the other thing. I will say that. In this, um, in this uh, chart that we went through about the risk of HIV transmission, we did not discuss childbirth or breastfeeding. Yeah, we didn't, did So, we? yeah, I'm going to have to look that up. I realized that wasn't on there. I do know that um, present day, it's a lot different than what it used to be based on um, treatments that can be given and uh, different like uh, giving birth via C-section versus vaginal, not breastfeeding versus breastfeeding, things like that. So, but anyway, uh, so back to this. So maybe this happened multiple times, but it just died out with the individual or with their family maybe, or, or the sexual partner, but still it just didn't get a foothold. It 
potentially just kept dying out. And studies have concluded that it is most likely that our current HV1 virus passed to humans around 1920. And that's variable. It's that's just, again, that's just like a best estimate. In Kinshasa, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, through the years 1950, uh, though the years 1915 and 1931 are also commonly cited. So it could have been earlier, could have been later, but basically early-ish um, 20th century, roughly around 100 years ago now. So so the fact remains that this virus had potentially been in and out of the human population for potentially decades before it finally got a foothold in the human population. And But the thing is how? Did it do that? How did it not just keep doing its thing and dying out? But part of the theory is of serial transmission, which is the idea that if a virus is spreading pretty rapidly in a population, in other words, when the hosts are still in the acute phase, remember I said that the increase of HIV transmission was much higher in the early stages. So as opposed to the latent period, the virus can actually get smarter and mutate or adapt for its own survival, becoming more viral in its early days. Like, hey, I'm not going to have long to transmit. I need to learn to to transmit quickly. That's also just I know, I know. But beyond that, there are social factors that have been concluded to be, to very likely have been a factor in helping spread the disease. And specifically, the location location of Kinshasa in the Democratic Republic of the Congo plays a role. So Kinshasa is the largest city in the Congo and is the capital city. Today, it has an estimated population of 11 million people. So it's pretty big, yes. However, in the 1920s, the now Democratic Republic of the Congo was called the Belgian Congo because it was colonized by Belgium. And this colonization began in the late 1800s and continued until the Congo's independence in 1960. So we're talking about decades here. In the 20s, there was a significant investment in the infrastructure in the Congo, especially in railways. And during this period, there was also an economic boom that was later curbed by the Great Depression, which was a worldwide event. So, But during this period, sex work and sex trafficking thrived mm. in the area. And because HIV can be transmitted sexually, especially, again, in the early stages of HIV, in the acute phase of HIV, it's a lot more transmissible. The common practice of unprotected sex and the proliferation of sex work was a likely factor in the proliferation of the virus. So it just, it was transmitted more often, more frequently. And then add to that, that to the fact that the Congo was colonized, obviously not only consensual, consensual sex work, but non-consensual un, uh, unprotected sex, rape, assault, uh, was, I'm sure, a factor. So... Additionally, the increased rail travel in the Belgian Congo, Belgian Congo, that's not a word, (laughs) Belgian Congo, through Kinshasa ensured a steady stream of people Mm -hmm. who might be newly exposed to the virus. Um, It's estimated that a million people would go through Kinshasa every year back then. Just travel. It was a hub. I was going to say, we're talking Mm -hmm. 100 years ago, too. Mm -hmm. And big hub. Another major factor with a much higher transmission risk, as we know, was injections. So before the 1950s, ready to have your mind blown? Before the 50s, sterile needles were not necessarily the norm. I know. It's like, it's like how did we all even get here? Right? I mean, <laughs> like, how really? are we alive? Yes. Seriously. And reusing needles in clinics in the Belgian Congo in the colonial days was not at all uncommon. And the, and the first guy to use like a sterile needle, like the other doctors were probably <laughs> right. looking at him like, like, what are you, a fag? Sterile needle. Or are you a wimp? That's probably what they'd say. Like, we don't need no stinking sterile needles. I was, I was going off of Idiocracy. I don't know if anybody's seen that movie. Maybe old people like you. No. No, it came out like <laughs> 10 years ago. Oh, okay. So colonial authorities were administering a lot of vaccines back then. Oh, well, of course. Smallpox vaccines and antibiotics and other injections, which, nice idea. However, they were reusing needles. So that obviously helped spread the virus very efficiently. 
through blood to blood contact. Now, during this time period, HIV, yeah, isn't that horrible? So HIV was obviously being spread, but no one knew it. No one knew this was going on. And probably other shit, too, was being spread. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. But much more treatable stuff, especially Mm -hmm. down the road. But yeah, or so, much more obvious stuff. It's like, oh, you have this, right? As Without a latent to, period, latency period, or yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, it, so there was probably a mass of people that died from this, and nobody even knew. That's why seventy million is an estimate. Yeah, only an estimate. Yeah. Oh shit! Who I, knows? I really did not know it went back this far. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Jeez. I mean, and this is the the current virus. They've actually been able to like sequence and know where it, uh, where it came from and everything. Um, but like the idea that it came and went, like died out multiple times. Yeah. Who knows how many people died from that or small villages. Yeah, like maybe it just, was just um, isolated, but still managed to kill a couple hundred people. Like, or it could have been one or two people yeah. here and there. Uh-huh. And it was like, they had flu like symptoms and like, Oh, he died of the flu. Right. Which is still common. Yep. Yeah. So, wow. Yep. What a crazy. Uh huh. Uh huh. So yeah. So if the theory that HIV was officially a human virus in the 1920s is correct, which seems to be the case, it would literally be over 50 years before we knew what was going on. And of course, in the meantime, people were dying of AIDS. Sure. The earliest known infections, wow. known as in known now, but not known at the time, obviously, are from the late 1950s. So that's when the first cases where we've I, actually I been able to. I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. Specifically, a preserved blood sample from an anonymous Congolese man in 1959 was shown to have been HIV positive. Now, it's not known whether um, he actually ended up with AIDS and if that's what killed him or if he. But he certainly uh, had HIV. Right. That's just from a blood sample taken during his lifetime. Other known early... That, that, that was 60 years ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. Holy fuck. Now, uh, and again, he's obviously not the first person to have died no. from, from AIDS. No. It's just the first known person based on the fact that we had a blood sample that we could still look at and test and everything like that. Other known currently early victims included a teenage African-American boy from Missouri named Robert Rayford. He died at the age of 16 in 1969 of pneumonia. But he also presented with symptoms of a highly dysfunctional immune system that puzzled the doctors treating him. If I'm remembering this correctly, um, he was um, abused sexually. Mm. So that may have been the cause of of his, uh, how he contracted HIV. In 1975 and 1976, a Norwegian sailor, his wife, and his young daughter all died of AIDS. The sailor had spent time in West Africa. About eight years earlier. Mm-hmm. We yeah. know what sailors like to do on their spare time, well, don't we? So the age of AIDS, that Frontline documentary, very dramatically stated, before we knew what it was, it was already with us. And as cheesy as that sounds, That's it is... absolutely true. Absolutely true. Yes. That this insidious virus was already... It was... Before we knew it, it was way too late. It took it... Uh, according to estimations, uh, 60, 70, 50 years for mm-hmm. it to become like a pandemic. Before it became known. Yeah. It well, was even already that's, a that's pandemic. That's true. That's true. It was just spread out and communication wasn't what it was. And let's face it, it was initially affecting a bunch of dark skinned people in another country that people were already like. Think of think so of the people are, who are already get written off. Just pe- well, think of it now. People still have views of Africa that are highly um, racist and oh, yeah. terrible. But back then, they were still calling people in Africa savages, which is horrific. Yeah. So, do you think they cared? No. If yeah, no one in the Western world really cares. It's like if oh, was all those all those savages right. uh, came down with this disease, whatever. Right. So yeah. so. It, it, who knows how many people it killed before it would have even... And and the same philosophy was taking place in the 80s when it and in regards to gay people. Well, don't go there yet. I, I That's next week's episode. I know, but mm-hmm. it's so hard to not... We will. Because we'll I... There. 
I live. We're getting ready to wrap it up. Yeah, You're going to get to say all Sorry. of that stuff next week. I promise. I promise. Yeah, let's not get but too far. But it's weird because I really did not know the history of this. I know. Kind of because I've I've just never really wanted to. Right. So this yeah. is all this shit. Most of it that you've mm-hmm. said in this episode is news to me. I didn't it's, know. I did not know it went back that far. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, this was not an epidemic that we would have or to an extent even could have caught early on. It was happening without anyone knowing. And it would have required, again, it would have required a geopolitical response. Right. A global cooperative response. Just to figure out that this was even happening. Plus, also think about this. Say this really started to get a foothold in the 20s, the 30s. The world was highly occupied with other problems throughout oh, yeah. the 20s, the 30s, oh, yeah. the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. This would have been like 10th on the list of things to get to. Yeah, this disease that's killing, well, whatever. We've got other things there, to worry about. There were political leaders slaughtering mil- millions of people. Yeah. So there was a lot on people's minds. I'm not saying that that means that this was good, that this was not being figured out ahead of time. It's just that it was sort of a perfect storm of circumstances. There was no, I mean, there was just no... It, it didn't occupy people's minds, right. period, that yeah. something like this could also be going on at the same time. Plus the fact that it just looked like the flu and then you die of pneumonia some years yeah, later. Like How happen- is that supposed it's to? like it happens. Yeah. Like whatever. The uh, Your life expectancy 100 years ago? Right. Mm-hmm. 50-something probably? Mm-hmm. Worldwide, I would guess. Yep. So in the meantime, the bodies just piled up without mm-hmm. even okay. knowing about it. Pneumonia, flu... Yep. Whatever. So that, my friends, is where we're going to stop for this week. Um, We'll get into the epidemic next week. And don't worry, it gets worse. Much, much worse. For a while before it gets better. But I'm glad that at least we have a nice third part (laughs) to this story. But, uh, But yeah, so that is the origins of HIV and AIDS. Uh, yeah. And our 100th episode. Yes. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to sound so happy about that. <laughs> but this is, uh, I mean, even your generation, I'm not completely sure, has a lockdown on what this meant growing up. Maybe you do a little bit. because a little you're, bit. We'll you're talk an, about that yeah. next week. I'm an older millennial. Yeah. A yeah, little bit of some... I was, I'm old enough to, like, have been told to be careful if you see pee on the toilet seat because you yeah. can get AIDS, oh, you know? Yes, because people... Which, did, as we know, is bullshit. It is, but <clears throat> but at the same time, like, nobody really knew. Yeah. All anybody really knew for a long time is it could be transmitted. And we're going to get into all of that next week. You're going to have so much to say next week. I know. I know. Because we, we even I, mentioned I, I know, Pedro. I know, the, I know the audience can't wait. Oh, Good. Yeah. I'm... Yes, because yeah. that man is a symbol to my generation. Yeah, we'll so get to him We'll, get, in, we'll get into him. <laughs> we'll get into that. Yes. <laughs> so our highly anticipated episode 101 will come out next week. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure now that the audience knows that I'm going to be talking, doing most of the talking, not the story. Uh-huh. I'm going to be doing most the of the commentary, ranting. the social commentary. They're yes. like, yeah, mm-hmm. I can't wait. Can't wait. Slow clap. Slow clap. <laughs> <laughs> So with that being said, mm-hmm. and with the uh, with your upcoming turmoil when I when I get more airtime next week, <laughs> this has been another. Well, I'm sorry, that was HIV and AIDS origins. Yes, this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week, and know your exits. <laughs>